Hi. Hi. Can I follow you for a little um, report? To sure, yeah. Just to hear you. Tell me your name. Um, do you, I'm going to speak in Spanish. That's great. I'm Margo. Margo. Good to and meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm Umbreen. Umbreen? Umbreen. Umbreen, okay. I'm a reporter with um, Inspired. It's a production of Interfaith Voices. Okay, We're sure. just looking at um, this effort to try to decrease vaccine hesitancy. Yes. And you speak Spanish, so yes. if you don't mind, I'd like to just follow you a yeah, little bit. Yeah, sure. Okay, great. Okay. And I'm curious, is this your first time doing this? Yes. Are you excited? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you anticipating any resistance? I mean, I'm just going to chat with people, so no. Okay. I mean, if they don't want to do it, fine, but at least they know. And what if people don't have cell phones or emails? Well, that's why I'm here is because I have a tablet. I can sign them up right now. They would need a, if they don't have a cell phone, they at least need a contact person like a son or a daughter or a neighbor. That Somebody who could can be called. Yeah, yeah. And how did you find out about this volunteering opportunity? Um, I searched online. So. And yeah. is this the first time volunteering like this? Um, for COVID, yeah. yeah. I mean, I volunteer for elections, for other things, but not not for COVID. And so. what, what made you feel like this is the time to do oh, I mean, I just want to do something, you know? I mean, I know I'm not supposed to travel and um, I'm not supposed to, like, do other things, but I want to help, you know? So and I'm not a doctor, so I speak Spanish. I can do that. <laughs> With her tablet cradled in her left arm, Margo begins to approach people in line, asking if they've gotten the COVID-19 vaccine. Every Tuesday around 11 a.m., men and women of all ages begin forming a line here on the sidewalk that wraps around Hughes United Methodist Church in Wheaton, Maryland. It's about 10 miles due north of the White House. The crowd here is pretty diverse. There are a mix of ethnicities, ages, and I can hear lots of dialects of Spanish, Amharic, and Vietnamese. But this crowd is overwhelmingly Latino. And as people patiently wait for the food distribution to start, Margo begins to approach them. Do you uh, speak English or Spanish? Huh? You speak English or Spanish? Both. I speak English. Okay. I am just um, asking if people want to sign up for a vaccine. I don't know if you received I one. Did already one. Yay! At first, several say they have an appointment or have already been vaccinated, and Margot cheers them on. As she talks to people, many turn to listen. In a few minutes, a woman accepts her offer to help navigate the online portal. You can hear Margot's excitement as she begins translating the checklist of questions on the online pre-registration form. Even with the mask on, you can hear her smiling, and people are talking and engaging with her, asking questions. Margot is volunteering with the Montgomery County Department of Public Health. She, along with nine others, have been invited by the local church to assist with pre-registering community residents as they wait for the food distribution. As Margot continues to register folks, I head back to the parking lot where volunteers are now filling grocery bags with fresh eggs, loaves of bread, milk and produce, and they're trying to make it easier to quickly load the many cars that are waiting. Already I see a line that extends six blocks back into the local neighborhood. What's your name? Julieta. Julieta? Mm-hmm. My name's Ambreen. Saying again? Ambreen. Ambreen. Nice to meet you. And how many times do you volunteer? Do you come every week? Ooh, yeah. So actually I didn't start last year around the October or November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
seems like a lot of people are coming. Yes, a lot of people coming. Too many people, they need food and supply like meal or... Although Julieta is not a member of the church, she does enjoy helping the community. In fact, when her kids were young, she volunteered at a nearby elementary school. Today, she hopes to get her family members' vaccine appointments. You just came to help. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Have you been vaccinated? Yes, yes. I do. You eat the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So have you seen, are, are you hoping more people will get vaccinated today or make the appointment? Yeah, I want to make an appointment for my husband and my sister. Oh. I think it's... Have they been vaccinated yet? Not yet. Right now, she's the only one in her home who's been vaccinated. And do, you, do they want to get vaccinated? Yes. That's great. I'm a reporter for a radio show. And we're talking about why people, a lot, particularly Latinos, mm-hmm. are not getting vaccinated. They're, why, I'm trying to understand why. Have you heard from friends why they might not want to get it? Yeah, some people are scared because think they're going to happen something wrong, like think uh, or put arrows and think that people saying on the internet or things like that. But I know, I can believe in that. I believe in the science, yeah. So. You believe in the science? Yeah. Uh, well, I thank you for talking to me, and thank you for volunteering. I can tell that there's a real need here in Montgomery County. Okay, thank, thank, thank you. you. Mm-hmm. I'll let you get back to work. <laughs> when we come back. Church pastor Reverend Diana Winglero Reo explains why she invited the county public health department to come help pre-register residents and how she's responding to those, as Juliet described, who remain scared, afraid, or hesitant of the vaccine. She dives into what she's hearing and what she's doing about it. Wednesday and Thursday, we deliver food to the doors. So when they open the doors, you are like eight, ten feet away from each other. They start telling you the needs. They, they, they trust you. You can hear something that like, oh, wow, I, I can't even imagine this. We did a survey on the needs of vaccination or pre-registration. And the need is huge. So that's why we decided to help the neighbors. I think faith-based relationship, community relationship is It's critical in this situation. It is. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska. And in so many places in between. We're a national show and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show.
Welcome back to Inspired. I'm Umbreen Khan. This week, President Biden celebrates 100 days in office. He's commending the nation for reaching his goal of vaccinating 200 million. As of this taping, 50 percent of Americans have received at least one dose of the vaccine. While celebrating this milestone, he cautioned the country while closer to herd immunity is not out of the woods. Hundreds of Americans are still dying from COVID every day. The data could not be clearer at this point. If you are fully vaccinated, two weeks beyond your last shot, you are nearly 100% protected against death from COVID, no matter what your age. For the first three months of his administration, the priority was getting vaccines to the most vulnerable, Americans 65 years and older. Now that target has been reached. The administration is now working in coordination with states and the private sector to shift resources to make vaccines readily available for those who are younger and much harder to reach. 90% of the American people now live within five miles of a place where they can get a shot. And under our federal vaccination program, shots will be available at nearly 40,000 pharmacies coast to coast. While access is one part of the challenge, there is another, one the president did not mention. A growing number of Americans who remain vaccine-hesitant and those who outright refuse. That hesitancy can be found in one of the hardest-hit communities by COVID-19, Hispanic or Latino Americans. Now, it's a trend that I can see unfolding in my own backyard. Every day I check the COVID-19 vaccine and cases dashboard It's online at the Montgomery County, Maryland website. With over a million residents, we are the most populous county in the state, and our population is diverse. One-third of all residents are foreign-born, including myself. But where we live in the county tells another picture. That's where the data, broken down by zip code, helps bring the challenge into sharper focus. Of the 20% of residents who identify as Hispanic or Latino, to date, Only 14% have received a vaccination. I reached out to the Latino Health Initiatives at Montgomery County to learn more about the outreach efforts and the role that faith leaders are playing working on the front lines. They directed me to Pastor Diana Winger Arroyo. She's working to get those folks and everyone else in her community vaccinated. Pastor Diana leads the Hughes United Methodist Church located in Wheaton, Maryland. It's in the heart of a pretty urban district in the 20902 zip code. Of the 53,000 residents, nearly 70% identify as not white, and 37% identify as Latino or Hispanic. She joined the congregation as lead pastor in 2019. And over the years, the church congregation, she told me, has gotten smaller and more diverse. She describes the 150 members as a welcoming congregation, one that thinks of itself as a mosaic. After meeting the volunteers preparing for the weekly food distribution, we moved inside to talk. Thank you so much for sitting down and making time for me. I know today is a very busy day. It is a busy day because we had the food distribution, and we usually do uh, between 550 to 600 people. And um, so we have about 15 volunteers that comes every week, different volunteers. And um, we feed about 150 walk-ins. The rest come in the cars. 
Pastor Diana, you are especially qualified to promote vaccinations here in your community. I understand you're a nurse and you are originally from Nicaragua, where you worked as a health promoter. As you are immersed both in the language and culture of many of your neighbors here, I'm wondering what you see as some of the biggest challenges. We have uh, neighbors in this community that are really vulnerable and uh, living in a poor and precarious situation. And many of them don't have phone, cell phone, uh, forget about having a computer. So for them to register is complicated. It's difficult to do. We did a survey on the needs of vaccination or pre-registration, and the need is huge. So that's why we decided to help the neighbors. So hopefully they will come and register here. Access and equity are two big issues around the vaccine. We know the virus disproportionately affects African-Americans, Latinos, and African immigrants, all residents of Montgomery County in significant numbers, especially here in this zip code. What do you see happening? You're right. In my zip code, which is 2902, we had the highest rate of death, death and also um, infected families. And the issue is because there are people who are immigrants, there are people who have uh, undocumented and they are afraid to go like to register or they are afraid to give their names and last name or their uh, address because they don't trust. They don't trust uh, police. They don't trust uh, political issues where everything becomes so political. And, and immigration right now is a big deal. But on the other hand, we also have people who are hard to reach out. Uh, the Africans from uh, Caribbean. That we had three grandmas right there standing from the Caribbean. And then we, they, they hardly speak English. Right. They, they, they don't want us to deliver the food to them because they want to walk. Mm. <laughs> so they live about two blocks away. They come walking and they needed the vaccine. So today they are getting registered. The county has many ways to get notice, you know, what is going on. They are doing a great, incredible job doing that. But also, when you go into the, people don't know how to go log in into the county website. They don't have access to that. Even though some of the information is, is Spanish or, or, or many languages. But we have found out that people don't know how to access to that information easily. So we help with that. When you encounter people who reject the vaccine, are you hearing concerns about uh, the issues that were raised with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, specifically this this fear or concern that it was somehow made from aborted fetal tissue, which I should say is not, we know it's not. Some of the vaccines were tested using fetal cell lines, cells grown in laboratories from elective abortions performed in the 1970s and 80s. But I'm, I'm curious, what are you hearing here? We have found, especially with the people who are walking in, many are Roman Catholic background. I think it's a scene. And uh, I tried to explain to them that they can get the other ones, other vaccines that don't have any cell tissues from aborted kids. And they still, they say they don't trust science. Mm. Especially, they say, when everything becomes so political. So many people just radically said no. They really mistrust science. Do you ever tell them that President Biden is vaccinated or that Pope Francis encourages vaccination? We do share that, especially that's the first thing I said. You know, our President Biden is, is a Roman Catholic person. And what they say is, yeah, but he probably believes in abortion and I don't. <laughs> do you hear anything like that from your own United Methodist congregations? I haven't heard anything negative about the vaccine from the United Methodist in this area, personally, but I have heard about um, 
negative and, and opposition, not just about the, the Roman Catholic, but the white evangelical people. Mm-hmm. They believe that God is, that the blood of Jesus is protecting them, and that's enough. So if you get the vaccine, you don't have faith in Christ. For those wrestling with this question, how do you reconcile your own belief in God with a belief in the need to be vaccinated? Well, I really respect science. I believe that God created people with the ability to believe it, to develop for a better human uh, life in, in, in this planet. And um, so the first thing I thought, like, okay, thank you, God, for sending people with such a good brain to create this vaccine. We're grateful. One thing I heard outside in the parking lot was this notion that if you've had COVID, you don't need the vaccine. Now, researchers and doctors say this is not true. I'm wondering if you've heard that before and how you respond. We hear that a lot, a lot, especially with a few of our volunteers. I was surprised to hear that. So what I did is I invited someone from the county, and I had a meeting with all the volunteers, who are like 20 people, and that lady went through all the explanation why even if you got COVID-19, you still can get it because you, you after a few months, you don't have the antibody in your, in your body and you need to get it. It's important for the, for the future, for the life to protect other people. And um, three of those volunteers who were so resistant to that because they had COVID, at the end they said, okay, two of them decided to get the, the vaccine. But one the person said, no, I don't want the vaccine. I just don't want the vaccine, period. Have you heard any conspiracy theories about the vaccine? Well, let me tell you four things I have heard about the vaccine. Some people say if they get the vaccine and they are in the they are millennials, they are afraid to get uh, unable to give birth, or the men are unable they, they are afraid to get sterilized and they not, not have kids any longer. The other thing that we hear about it is that it is uh, Bill Gates created this vaccine and put a chip in it and. With that chip is to control humanity, and they, uh, 40 years from now, 30, 20, 20 or 40 years from now, they will decide who will stay alive and who die. The other thing we hear is evil because, you know, it has a, a border um, cell tissues. And the other thing, that the last thing I have heard is that the mark of the beast, precisely because of the chip they want to insert in your hand. And if you don't have it, when Jesus comes, you won't be safe. You will stay in the, in the eternal mm. pain and suffering. It's, it's a lot of um, uh, different things, which are many are religious, other are politicals, other are just people are confused about science, political, and religion thing with this vaccine. That's what I can see. I ask questions, I ask questions, and they answer and answer. And at the end, what I said is, well, I believe that Jesus came to give us a better life, and I believe the vaccine provides an opportunity for us to be uh, serving God in a better way. So protecting other people, you're loving them, and protecting yourself, you're loving yourself, which is the biggest comment. Mm-hmm. Love the neighbors and love yourself. When you talk with other religious leaders, does this come up, the challenge of responding to misinformation and conspiracy theories? I am part of the interfaith uh, community from the Montgomery County, and we have had conversations like that. You know, we have all the different faiths and different theological uh, thinking about the vaccine. So what we have talked about it is that each one of us, even if you are Christian, you are Muslim, you are uh, Jewish, you are from the Baha'i religion, whatever religion you are, just try to explain to them by the love of God. Everybody loves God, right? Whatever the God it is, everybody loves God. So we try to explain to them in a faith base uh, that it is about loving 
yourself and loving others. And that's a big commandment for any religion because it's, it's God, right? The creator. And is that effective? Do you think religious leaders are more trusted than political leaders? Are religious reasons for getting vaccines more effective than political or even scientific ones? 100% I believe so, yeah. I'm curious, one year into this pandemic, it's taking a toll on all of us. How are folks doing in your community? Things are improving. I can see people going back to their work, jobs, that they were not working for quite a few months. I have seen also people um, coming uh, out to help more in the hub. People that never wanted to do it, now they're vaccinated, they want to help. I also see uh, many mamas, uh, single ma- mothers that I, we know in the community, uh, they, they were severely depressed for being inside, uh, stuck with the kids and the computer all day long without being able for them to do anything. I have seen that, that some of those kids are going back to school in person. So the mothers come to our programs, different programs we have, and I have seen that improvement in, in health, in, in terms of healthy uh, lifestyle. Uh, I have seen that um, many people that are vaccinated now, they come to a Zumba. Zumba? What role does Zumba play in the community's comeback? Well, Latino community is all about music and dancing. It's even you cooking, you dancing. Grandma can be 100 years old and she's cooking rice and she's dancing. I think I might be a little Latina. And if she, if grandma is taking care of the kids, there will be music in their old radio, you know, especially you are from Puerto Rico and South America. And um, so we're musical people. So uh, dancing is healthy. Make them feel joyful, free, relaxed. They forget about things and then they can start getting better shape. Pastor Deanna, your church is doing a lot to address some of the needs in your community, you know, not just the food delivery. I know you have regular social workers available for members of the community, as well as your congregation as as a resource. Now, if you were in the position of policymakers to prioritize what needs to happen in our county, what would be at the top of your list? Vaccinating people right now. Vaccinating people. And I, I will... I will try to do my best to mobile all the mobile clinics and uh, working with uh, not just Montgomery County, but like a CVS, uh, Holy Cross, all the hospitals and clinics, private clinics. I would love to work with them and take a mobile unit to vaccinate people in the apartment complex. And do you think local officials understand what it would take to be able to do what you're describing? I think that Montgomery County had been incredible making big efforts to understand it. But I think it goes beyond their understanding because we're talking about many, many cultures, many subcultures under one big culture. But I think there are things that are more like a community and leaders situation that uh, we understand them more because we just have a team here that goes and drop off food to the seniors and single mothers, people affected with COVID-19, unemployed people. We have a long list. And Wednesday and Thursday, we deliver food to the doors. So when they open the doors, you are like eight, 10 feet away from each other. They start telling you their needs. They, they, they trust you. You can hear something that like, oh, wow, I, I can't even imagine this. I think faith-based relationship, community relationship is is critical in this situation. It is. Diana Winger Arroyo is the lead pastor of Hughes United Methodist Church located in Wheaton, Maryland. 
In addition to serving as an elder for nearly two and a half decades, she's a nurse and has worked as a health promoter in her country of origin, Nicaragua. Coming up, we put the challenges Pastor Diana described into a national context with help from our friends at the Public Religion Research Institute. They co-released a report with IFYC examining the religion factor in vaccine resistance and strategies that can be effective in overcoming hesitance. Hispanic Protestants are our lowest vaccine acceptor group. Notably, they also have the highest rate of hesitancy. The distinction between white evangelical Protestants and Hispanic Protestants is that the white evangelicals are more likely to be refusers, whereas Hispanic, it's hesitancy. It's not the refusal rate that jumps up very high. My conversation with the director of research, Natalie Jackson, starts after this short break. Stay with us. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Umbreen Khan, and you're listening to Inspired. If you're just joining this week, we're taking a closer look at the vaccine hesitancy that continues to soar among Hispanic and Latino Protestants. We heard from volunteers in Montgomery County, Maryland, who are working to help community members register for COVID-19 vaccines, and also from a local community pastor, forming partnerships and trying all kinds of strategies to encourage her community to get vaccinated. But here's the question. Does it work? Earlier this week, the team at the Public Religion Research Institute co-released a report with the Interfaith Youth Corps to answer that question. They conducted the largest survey offering rigorous data that they hope will help civic leaders and public health promoters understand how faith-based interventions might reduce vaccine hesitancy and outright resistance. According to the executive summary, the Religion and Vaccine Survey is the largest study to date conducted in this area. Before we dive into the findings, PRRI's new director of research, Natalie Jackson, lays out the scope and the timing of when this poll was taken. So let me tell you first a little bit about this survey. It was conducted online March 8th through 30th. The total sample size is 5,625. It's ages 18 and over, living in all 50 states plus D.C., Jackson has a background in political science and measuring public opinion on public policy. She hopes the data will help inform decision-making by public health promoters and advocates supporting the vaccine rollout so that the country can get to herd immunity. Natalie, welcome to the show. Let's start big picture. There is a lot of focus on one religious group for its resistance, outright refusal to getting vaccinated, white evangelicals under the age of 65. There is also attention on a growing number of Hispanic Protestants who are vaccine hesitant as well. So here we are. Can you lay out in broad strokes what you found? Some of the biggest takeaways for me were that we have a really big variety of groups who are vaccine hesitant. When we put together a chart of those who are half or more hesitant or refusers, so meaning more than 50% of the group is either hesitant or does not intend to get a vaccine, we have all kinds of people in here. We have Hispanic Protestant, we have Black Protestant, 
rural residents, white evangelical Protestants, multiracial Americans, and of note, young people. We have those ages 18 to 29 and 30 to 49 who are more than half vaccine hesitant or refusers. Can you explain what you learned about Latino or Hispanic Protestants? Hispanic Protestants are our largest group of hesitant. And why is that? For Hispanic Protestants, a big reason for the hesitancy is that they're concerned about the safety of the vaccines, the side effects. There are actually a very small proportion of Hispanic Protestants who are refusers. That's only 15 percent. But 42 percent of them are hesitant. And it really comes back to not understanding fully the vaccine safety issues, the side effects, concerns about all of those things. What we see in the data is that for Hispanic and Black and multiracial Americans, these concerns with the fundamental safety of the vaccine are top of mind. That's not necessarily true with the white groups like white evangelical Protestants and Republicans. They're more objecting to the vaccine as a concept. It's less about the safety issues. But for these groups of people of color and Christians of color, we see that it's the concern about safety and side effects driving their hesitancy. Earlier, we heard from community members who are doing all kinds of different local outreach efforts. Can you put into context, based on the data, what outreach strategies are effective You know, that's one of the really cool things about this research. We've seen news stories and we've heard anecdotes about churches putting together events to promote vaccination or help people register or help with transportation needs or these information sessions. And what was really interesting was that we saw these things playing out in the big scale results of the survey. The biggest example of this is that among Black Protestants, those who report being active in their religious congregations by attending services are much more likely to say that they're getting the vaccine than those who don't. And we're talking about a gap between 57% vaccine acceptance among those who attend compared to 41% among those who do not. So that's an incredibly powerful example of the data showing a large-scale trend that, you know, so far we had only really heard about in localized news stories. Can you explain how attending religious services was actually measured in the study and what influence did it have on attitudes and behaviors? We phrased it as attending religious services, whether online or in person. When we look at those who are vaccine hesitant, 44% of those who are vaccine hesitant and attend religious services at least a few times a year say that they could be moved to get vaccinated by one or more of these faith-based approaches that we asked about. The most influential religious intervention that we asked about actually would be the religious community holding a forum to discuss the safety of the vaccine. So that's exactly in line with um, what we're hearing people do, get people in who can talk about the safety of the vaccine, the science, translate that into lay terms and you know, get these people's concerns alleviated so that they feel secure going to get the vaccine. 
what did you find as the reasons for hesitancy, particularly among that population of Hispanic Protestants? Among Hispanic Protestants and Hispanic Catholics, concerns are very high. We have well over half of each group who have at least moderate concerns, and more than a third of each group has major concerns. And those are the highest rates that we see among any religious group or race or ethnicity. What are you recommending to advocates who want to reach this particular population? We asked about six different things that religious communities could do. Overall, the most effective was holding a forum to discuss the safety of the vaccine. However, that was notably more uh, effective for Black Protestants who are hesitant. For white evangelical Protestants, there's a lot of trust in religious leaders in these communities. In fact, we had substantial numbers saying that they would turn to a, a religious leader to get information about the vaccine. So that tendency to turn to the religious leader is there already. So if the religious leader is organizing a forum and saying, I've brought this person to talk to you and they're going to explain this, I trust them to give you good information, you know, that trust transfer is happening and it's reaching people in a way that they're more open to hearing than perhaps a news item on their television or on social media would be. So we have a lot of folks who are religiously unaffiliated. They know of the religious leaders in the community, but they don't necessarily go to their online church or their online masjid or kurdwara or temple. How much um, trust is there in the civic leadership of local faith-based and faith-rooted leaders among those who are not religious, who don't regularly attend? We still saw about 20% of those who are religiously unaffiliated and vaccine hesitant saying that one or more of these faith-based approaches could move them closer to getting vaccinated. I think that the public trust element is exactly what's at work. People who are generally agreeable with kind of buy into the QAnon conspiracy theories are more likely to say that they're going to refuse the vaccine than people who reject the QAnon conspiracy theories. And it's a big gap. Those who agree with the QAnon conspiracy theories, 41% say that they will refuse the vaccine. Among those who reject the QAnon conspiracy theories, only 4% say they're going to reject the vaccine. If you are more likely to embrace QAnon conspiracy, you're more likely to be in that solid refusal category. How big is that category? It's generally a pretty small category. I'll say that up front. It's only about 13% of the population, which, you know, that does correlate to millions of people. But it's 13% of the population. That is adults 18 and over. Really interesting that in our data, there are not particular groups that stick out beyond what one might expect. Religiously, these conspiracy theory believers are a mix of everything. Um, it's not, as people might assume, it's not white evangelical Protestants that are dominant. It's really a mix of all religion 
in fact, the largest portion is those who are religiously unaffiliated. And that's about 34% of the conspiracy believers. Was there any intervention that a person from a faith-based community could do to persuade them to move from refusing to accepting and considering getting a vaccine? Yes. Among the conspiracy theory believers who are hesitant to get a vaccine, 36% say that one or more of the faith-based approaches that we asked about would make them more likely to get vaccinated. That's about on par with the Black and Hispanic Protestant groups, among whom about one-third also say that these faith-based approaches could move them toward getting vaccinated. So the conspiracy theory believers are not necessarily unmovable or any less movable than anyone else. They're just a particular group of concern that is more likely to be hesitant or refusers. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just explaining again for listeners, what are the interventions that you asked? You've talked a lot about forums. What were the other ones? The interventions that we asked about were a religious leader encouraged you to get the vaccine. Your religious community held a forum to discuss the safety of the vaccine. A religious leader you trust got the vaccine. A member of your religious community got the vaccine. You could get the vaccine at a nearby religious congregation. And your religious community provided assistance in getting an appointment to get the vaccine. So what we did here was we looked at what was happening, what religious communities are doing, and we asked if those are moving people. It sounds like that's the big takeaway from this survey, which is that if you are quick to discount the role that local faith-based groups play for your members of your community, pause, think again. This survey shows that there are a number of different ways that the the faith leadership in our different you know communities and towns across the country can join uh, in in raising comfort level and access to getting a vaccine. That's right. This survey shows that one of the tools that we can use to get ourselves moving toward herd immunity is faith-based advocacy and faith-based approaches to convincing people who are hesitant to go ahead and get the vaccine. We need every tool in the toolbox to reach people. And these religious appeals are a really powerful piece of the puzzle that can help get us there. Did you test some of the theological messages about how a particular faith tradition instructs you to look at the world and to look at your role in it? We asked about two different theological views, one of which is the belief that God will protect you, that God protects the faithful and will prevent you from getting sick. We didn't see that much agreement with that one. Um, Only about one in five Americans say that God is going to protect them from getting sick. But among those who are hesitant to get the vaccine, a few more, about 25%, say God will protect them. The other theological issue that we put in front of people was the concept of loving your neighbors. 
So we asked if people agreed or disagreed with the statement that getting vaccinated is a way to live out the religious principle of loving your neighbors. We got a lot more agreement with this. It did correlate with people's beliefs about the vaccine. Um, 53% said getting the vaccine is a way to live out loving your neighbor. That dropped to about 40% among those who are vaccine hesitant. So what we saw with these two questions was really that it looks like people are probably basing their answers in part on how they feel about the vaccine rather than basing their vaccine opinion on religious beliefs. We've been talking about theology, and you asked two theological questions that you found to be universally applicable to the religious diversity of the people who are answering this national poll. And I want to ask you about that second question. Um, The second question has to do with trust in the divine. Can you read us the question that you asked? Yes, that question was also an agree-disagree, and it said, God always rewards those who have faith with good health and will protect them from being infected with COVID-19. We only had about 21% of Americans overall agree with that statement. And were there particular patterns among the different subgroups? Interestingly, we do show Black Protestants and Hispanic Protestants, as well as white evangelical Protestants, are all a little bit more likely to agree with that statement than Americans overall. However, we see that play out very differently among those groups. We know all three of those groups are also vaccine hesitant, but for the Hispanic and Black Protestant groups, we know that that hesitancy is really rooted in the safety and the side effect concerns about the vaccine, not in the assumption that the divine is going to protect them. And the reason that we understand that is they report those concerns in our survey, and they are more likely to indicate that they've been wearing masks and they've been doing the appropriate things to protect themselves. So yes, they believe God will protect them, but also they need to do these certain things. And on a kind of personal level, this is another place where I've seen the data really reflecting the micro level conversations that I've seen. I grew up in rural Texas and so many of my connections particularly on Facebook, are from there and they're still there. And I do see quite a bit of this attitude that God will take care of me. And I've, I've seen people go back and forth of saying, you know, but God gave scientists the ability to develop the vaccines. The pushback on that is, well, if I get sick, then it was God's will that I would have this testimony, or it was God's will that this was my time. And so there are these really interesting micro-level debates that you see playing out on social media and in some of these forums that this data brings to a broader scale. You know, 20% of people believing that God will protect them and keep them from getting infected is a huge number of Americans. And if you listen to some estimates of what we need to get to herd immunity, we need 80% of the country 
to get the vaccine. So if we have 20% who say, well, God's going to protect me, that's a big challenge. That's Natalie Jackson, the director of research at the Public Religion Research Institute. It's a nonprofit that is based in Washington, D.C. We're going to be posting links to the poll that they conducted on the show notes for this week's episode. After my conversation with Natalie, I decided to swing back over to the United Methodist Church in Wheaton, Maryland, to check in and see how things were going. Pastor Diana, it's great to see you again. I think the last time I was here was about two and a half, almost three weeks ago. That is correct, and you are welcome again. So, you know, we are talking about vaccines and hesitancy, and when we met, you were organizing uh, food distribution, which you do every week, and the Maryland GoVax team was here registering folks in line for the vaccines. Have you heard any follow-up from the folks who were registered? Were they able to get their vaccines? Yes and no. I had people calling us that, uh, almost every day after we registered to the county system. They had called uh, the church asking why they have not received a call uh, yet. So it's been like more than two weeks, right? And uh, people so get hesitated because they register, but they don't get an appointment. But some of them have called and said, no, I already got my, my first vaccine. But other people, no, are still waiting. And I understand that part of what you're doing, when we had spoken, you'd mentioned you were going to try to organize a vaccine clinic on site, and there were questions about whether that would be in partnership with the Department of Health in Montgomery County or with a local hospital. Tell me uh, the update. What's been happening since we last spoke? Um, the county is trying to do the best they can to provide the vaccines to make it accessible to as many as people possible, especially young age, teenagers. But um, the truth is, it's a little more uh, complicated to register the system so people don't, even though it's in Spanish, so people don't have access to computers and do it. So well, what I did is um, I got connected with Holy Cross and uh, through the county friends, but it's through the Holy Cross. And we vaccinated 110 people for the first vaccine and this past Saturday. And um, so after seeing that success, what I did, I started registering myself and my team, people from the apartment complexes. We went to the apartment complex. We knocked at the doors. We asked people if they were registered. Some people say no. So we are registering people. We have them in the, in, in our, the hub system. And then I got connected with someone from Safeway Pharmacies, and they are coming on May 15th to do the second big group. It's going to be a bigger group. So far, we have 145 people uh, registered for that vaccine on May, on May fifteenth. So we're excited about that. I see you smiling. This feel. I mean, you have you identified a roadblock, which is the language barrier and access to technology. But it's also you said that there were other issues too that prevent people from being able to take time off to go and get a vaccine. Can you describe a little bit more what the neighbors are like? I mean, what are some of the struggles that your neighbors of the church uh, encounter? Where after the. Jensen uh, from Johnson and Johnson vaccine was taken out of the market. Um, people got hesitated, got scared, a lot of fear. Okay, this is creating a, a blood clots in people's body under 45 years old. So I don't want to have it. So after that, we saw the issue like that. It is very concerning because many people didn't want to come for the second shot. 
So we had to call people one-on-one and kind of educate them because they called, thank you so much, but I'm not going to take my second vaccine. I said, why not? Because I'm afraid it can be something that is weird in that vaccine. And I got so sick after the first doses. And and so I don't want to have the second one. But um, after we talk to them, you know, educate them, we answer the question, simple. And so I tried to explain to them, and I'm talking to you not just as a pastor, as a person that you know from the community, but I'm talking to you as a nurse. And and I explained the the pros, you know, of the the vaccine. And um, at the end, they trust me. They trust me because even though when I tell them that I am a a science believer and I believe in Christ as well, it's like, ah, okay, I I don't get it, but okay, it's just saying that. But um, still, it is complicated. It is complicated. Based on your experience of knocking on doors, registering people, engaging in what sounds like difficult conversations, I mean, you're a nurse, you have a background in public health. Based on all of those experiences you've had in the last few months, trying to increase the number of, as they say, jabs in the arms, you know, shots, what do you recommend to public health promoters? What do you recommend to policymakers and to other faith leaders who are serving, particularly the faith leaders who are serving communities that are hesitant and resistant? Working with the Department of Human, uh, Health and Human Services um, and uh, other branches like CASA, um, Proyecto Salud, Bienestar y Salud, which are more Latino uh, clinics around the, the, the town, what I have learned is they send health promoters on our hub every Tuesday during the food distribution. They distribute like a little flyers about COVID testing or things like that. My my recommendation will be that the, the, the county, the officer need to understand this is about relationship. This is about friendship. This is about trust. This is about being a person that the community will respect and, and sometimes the community don't respect too much the, the lawmakers, but they do respect the people who feed them every Tuesday or call them, uh, how you feeling, how you're doing, and they can be more into a relationship one-on-one with the people. I think people will be more trustworthy about that. Deanna Wingler-Arroyo is lead pastor of Hughes United Methodist Church in Wheaton, Maryland. That's all for this week's episode. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, our producers, Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston, audience engagement fellow, Lila Weitzner, and to all of you, our generous listeners and supporters who make this program possible. If you'd like to learn more about Interfaith Voices, visit interfaithradio.org, where you can sign up for the newsletter, check out the podcast, and see the show notes. I hope wherever you are, you are safe, you are well, and that you get vaccinated. 